Chapter 5. Polly Makes a Plan We start, then, with nothing. Charles S. Pierce, Logic of Events, 1898 Once back in her flat, Polly felt utterly exhausted, so set about making herself a nice cup of Lady Grey. Her apartment, with its beautifully tiled flooring, ancient rugs, and high ceilings, was her pride, joy, and sanctuary. In her kitchen, she had all the things to help with her baking, lots of jars with mysterious-looking stuff in them, and several plants in various stages of health. Picking at a ginger cake she'd made earlier, she looked out of the large, arched window onto the common. It was too dark to make out anything other than the outline of trees, but she wasn't looking at them. No sooner had she leant back on the sofa, she jumped up again as she remembered the entire point of the visit, that bit of paper. She spent a crazed couple of minutes, which felt like an eternity, scouring around for it. She thought she'd lost it and was very nearly on the verge of breaking down and throwing herself on the floor in complete contempt of her ineptitude when she spotted a scrap of paper innocently lying on the table in the hall. At first, she was so excited. Excitement quickly turned to bafflement as she attempted to work out what this piece of paper was trying to tell her. It simply said, www.nothing.com Heaving her laptop onto her lap and firing up the interwebs, she considered for the trillionth time investing in a new one. It made a sort of whirring noise before it promptly died. Damn, damn, damn! She got up and dumped the whole heap of junk in the bin. Locating her phone, she was momentarily distracted by a message from Toby asking how she was. Did she like him? She still hadn't responded to his previous messages, so she guessed not. He was attentive, polite, and emotionally available. She wanted to like him, but... Her phone battery dropped from 87% to 2% and also promptly died. She'd left her charger at work. Polly could hear her mother's voice in her head telling her off for daydreaming about silly little boys instead of focusing. Clutching at her head, Polly wandered into the kitchen to search for something comforting. The clock showed it was 12.45 a.m. How on earth had that happened? There was nothing for it but to wait until morning. If Polly went to bed now, she could get up at 5 a.m. and be in the office for 6 a.m. She shuddered. 5 a.m. was surely the middle of the night. Still, the burning desire to know or understand what on earth had happened tonight was enough for her. Polly ruefully resigned herself to bed. After much faffing around and another cup of tea, she switched on her digital radio and climbed into bed. She lay there in the dark, half listening to the melodic sound of Shostakovich's second movement, her eyes wide open and mind running round and round, trying to resolve the unusual events of the evening. There was no resolution for tonight, and by the looks of things, no chance of sleep either. Light harassed her eyes as they adjusted from pleasant dark slumber to dawn. Outside wasn't particularly sunny. Closer inspection revealed a blanket of endless off-white cloud. Polly had developed a method over the years to distract herself from unpleasant thoughts and places. She would select a few things she liked and focus on them, ignoring everything else. Every workday morning, Polly faced two options when she left her house. She could turn left out of her house, skip along the park, around the beautiful lake, glance at the curious house with the high iron gates, and head down to the overland train, which was the far less ugly route to work. 
Alternatively, she could turn right and walk up the painstaking hill past the rundown garage with the strange and nonsensical Madagascar neon sign, up onto the high street with the endless fried chicken restaurants, and cram herself onto the bus with its steamed-up windows and anxious commuters. It was a tricky choice. Although not all that tricky, because every day Polly turned right to save herself time. Polly was eternally late, and today was no exception. Time is always the cruel dictator that gets in the way of dreams. Or perhaps it is other people's dependence on time that's the problem. There was one particular tree she passed that she was fond of. In summer, this mighty chestnut boasted thousands of luscious green leaves and spiky balls that would turn golden brown in late autumn, pleasingly littering the entire street with foliage and a scattering of shiny, deep brown conkers. Directly opposite the tree was the garage with the weird neon sign, and she instinctively didn't like it. She didn't know why. Perhaps it was because it looked so hopeless and grotty, so she ignored it. Beyond the tree was a small patch of grass with a handful of pretty pink flowers that would spring up in the early part of the year. She used to think they were delphiniums, until she looked this up. The next spot was the old town hall, a combination of majestic Edwardian red brick and mischievous creeping ivy. It was this that thrilled her eye as she imagined all sorts of exciting things happening in the building over the last hundred-odd years. When she had finally drifted off to sleep, sometime after 3 a.m., she had a particularly disturbing dream. She couldn't remember the details, nor could she shake off the feeling. Vague hints of a mundane background and a grubby room sloshed their way around her mind. Some form of turbulence was taking place, which she had no control over. Equally, there was a sense of responsibility for something. But what? Her memory of the dream began to settle. The real-world memories began to take shape and started to join again like little ice crystals on a pane of glass. Donald's visit, the piece of paper, the strange late-evening interruption. What had she been thinking before 10.25 p.m.? She had no clue nor care now. And after replaying everything over and over in her mind, she wondered whether she'd missed something. Passing the town hall, she reached the crossing at the busy main road. With one arm, she expertly scrambled around in her shoulder bag for the piece of paper. Her hand closed around it and, as she waited for the little man in the box to flash green, she wrenched the piece of paper from her bag to ogle it for the hundredth time. In purple ink, in the center of the irrelevant A4 paper, was written www.nothing.com. What on earth could it mean? She ran to catch the overcrowded bus and wished, for the first time, the journey to work would go quickly. It wasn't as if Polly hated going to work. She liked most of the people and was well-regarded, albeit unknown, most of the time. The work wasn't a problem. She enjoyed managing a project and measuring its progress to completion. The main problem for her was the overwhelming pointlessness of the work and the pretense that the company was somehow saving the universe by selling ringtones. Everyone in her office seemed to be divided between two camps, those unaware of the pointlessness of their existence, who kept quiet, and those who knew it was pointless but enjoyed making others as unhappy as possible without committing physical violence. As she entered the office, she no longer cared. Something had changed. She felt the shift within her overnight. 
For once, she had a real-life challenge on her hands, and it was very exciting. She felt bigger things were at play. At least, she did, that was, until she spent the first hour of the day in a meeting with the senior management team, which consisted of 19 people, accounting for 19% of the workforce, and 81% of the wages. The conference itself was the Bi-Daily London Short-Term Update Summit, which was, in some inconceivable way, different to the Weekly London Mid-Term Update Summit and the Bi-Weekly London Long-Term Update Summit. Arriving on the dot of 9 a.m., Polly had no time before the meeting to get near her desk. The hour passed painfully slowly when, at last, at 10.05 a.m., she escaped. The encounter left Polly as it usually did, with the sense that all the color had drained out of the world, until she remembered her quest. Polly was dying to tell someone what had happened last night, but knew the skepticism it would be met with. She wanted to keep it to herself, to protect this tiny little flame of hope so she could evaluate things properly without others' intrusions. Once back at her computer, she typed in www.nothing.com. She was careful to type it out accurately, despite her bubbling excitement. The page that loaded had no navigable links and a cheap-looking logo for something called Nothing Ventures, Incorporated. Underneath, there was one sentence that read, We start, then, with nothing. Polly refreshed the page a couple of times, but the same inconclusive message was there. She sat looking blankly at the screen as her mind whizzed through all the possibilities. Maybe it was some sort of code, like a cryptic crossword. Polly had never been very good at those. She quickly checked her calendar. Thankfully, she had no meetings for the rest of the morning, which gave her time to think. A million thought avenues had opened in her mind. The sheer number made her mind lock. She suddenly remembered a piece of advice a good friend of hers once gave her. His tactic, when faced with a problem, was to spend as many hours as possible researching all the information at hand, then have a bottle of wine, a good meal, and sleep on it. The next morning, he would swear the path ahead would reveal itself. Did Polly have the patience for waiting another 24 hours? No. Forget it. She opened a new Google document and created a file named Project Plan 1.0, a title innocuous enough that no one would bother to read it. In the first tab, she noted down what she had to go on. Polly typed the quote, We start, then, with nothing, into her browser, and found it to be a quote by Charles Sanders Pierce. The full passage read, We start, then, with nothing, pure zero. But this is not the nothing of negation. For not means other than, and other is merely a synonym of the ordinal numeral second. As such, it implies a first, while the present pure zero is prior to every first. The nothing of negation is the nothing of death, which comes second to or after everything. But this pure zero is the nothing of not having been born. There is no individual thing. No compulsion, outward nor inward. No law. It is the germinal nothing in which the whole universe is involved or foreshadowed. As such, it is absolutely undefined and unlimited possibility. Boundless possibility. There is no compulsion and no law. It is boundless freedom.
It didn't make a great deal of sense to Polly, who was not renowned for her deep philosophical understanding. She couldn't even spell philosophical. It certainly didn't tell her the key to everything, nor bring her whatever it was she desired, nor infinite amounts of power. It did, however, give her an idea. There were only two ways to get to the bottom of this. Polly wrote down two actions. Number one, find Donald. Number two, find Bert Fairwald. Something else had occurred to her as she remembered what Donald had told her about the code. If she recalled correctly, he had said that the code would bring her whatever she desired. Well, thought Polly, what is it that I want? She added a third action to the list, possibly the most challenging task yet, not that the first two were a walk in the park. Number three, find out what I want. Polly dedicated her brain to the first action. Only knowing Donald's first name, she could only think to ask, How many people in the world are called Donald? The answer to this question turned out to be a lot, most of them in the U.S., where 99.87% were male. Polly took a moment to feel sorry for the 0.13% of females called Donald. After several other fruitless searches, she decided to type in Donald and Charles Sanders Pierce. Hurrah! Polly wiggled with excitement in her chair as her eye was drawn to the second link on the page. 28th September, Economic Section, Accountancy, Globalization to Universalization, by Donald Pigeon. How could universalization ever possibly work? Many say it would be impossible and too big for our brains to handle. But then I refer you to Charles Sanders Pierce. At first we start. She clicked on the link and briefly skimmed through the article. It might have been written in another language, but she wasn't interested in the content. That's got to be Donald, she thought. It was too much of a coincidence. She scrolled down to the bottom of the page. There was no photograph, but now she had his full name and what he did, which was accountancy. It was weird. He didn't look that boring. The rest was easy-peasy. She quickly located the firm where, according to Interlinked, he was currently working, and managed to find the address. If she jumped in a cab, it would take her less than ten minutes to get there. But what about work? Screw it, she could pop out now. Getting to the bottom of this felt more important than lunch, yet she sat for a moment in a state of indecision. Would she get told off, she wondered. It seemed ridiculous that an adult would be worried about this. Unknowingly, and almost unthinkingly, she took out her phone, opened the little yellow taxi app, and hit Pick Me Up Here. Her phone flashed instantly. Your cab is one minute away. That settled it. She picked up her bag and ran out of the building into the waiting taxi. Where to, love? The cab driver eyed her through the mirror. Polly read out the address she had jotted down, and the cab driver frowned. Okay, no problem. There's a bit of traffic on the Strand this morning, but I could just cut up through Covent Garden if that's alright with you. Polly, having lived in London for 15 years, had no idea if this was better or not, but put on the show of goodwill required. So, what do you do then, love? Asked the cabbie, making a death-defying U-turn. Me? As if there was someone else that he might have been talking to. Oh, well, I don't do anything that interesting, to be honest. 
Polly wondered how to aggrandize project management. You got a meeting then? No, I don't. Polly realized she was desperate to tell someone the events of the last 24 hours to the point of bursting, and, given the anonymity of the backseat of a cab, she felt free to unburden herself. It's a bit of a bizarre story, actually. Oh yeah? What's been going on, then? She caught his eye in the mirror to see she had piqued his interest. Well, it's all going to sound a bit strange, she continued. I've been driving a cab round London for twenty years, love. Nothing surprises me anymore. Well, it started last night. Unexpectedly, this bloke turned up at my house, about 10.45pm. That's a bit late to turn up unannounced. The cabbie frowned at her in the mirror. I know, that's what I thought. Anyway, he said his name was Donald, and... Polly reeled off the whole story, missing nothing, even explaining briefly about her prediction of her brother's apparent involvement. And the weird thing is, I haven't seen Bert, that's my brother, for nearly ten years, but I'm pretty sure this Donald knows him. Polly picked at a bit of fluff on the seat. Always trust your instincts. They very rarely served me wrong in life. He was fully involved in the mystery now. Have you got the piece of paper with the code on it? Yeah, look. It's just a bit of paper. She leaned forward and handed the driver the folded paper she'd been carrying around. The driver looked it over, nodded knowingly, and handed it back. And you reckon this Donald bloke is one of them, then? From over there, I mean. The cabbie couldn't quite bring himself to say the A word for fear of discrediting the story. Well, I think so. I don't know how to tell, though. I felt he was different somehow. I could be wrong. Nah, I think you're spot on, love. I've had the same thing myself a few times, he said, not to be outdone on the new story stakes. Was saying to my wife, June, just last night, I said, I reckon I've been driving around loads of those, Ailey. He stopped himself just in time. People from over there. I know what you mean about that sort of feeling. They don't look any different to us, do they? But you just know. Oh, great, thought Polly. He's nuts. Before reminding herself of her circumstances before she threw any more stones and brought down her own frail glass house. They sat in comfortable silence for a few moments, both reviewing what the other had said. So, what about this code, then? Do you think it's legit? He piped up again. I don't know, and I don't know how to work it out. Polly again scratched her head. Have you tried it? He asked keenly. What do you mean? Asked Polly, genuinely confused. Well, suppose it's like the genie in the lamp. Didn't this Daniel bloke... Donald. His name is Donald, interrupted Polly, because it mattered. Ah, yeah, sorry. Didn't Donald say you could do whatever you want and it gave you loads of power or something? The answer to everything? Yes, well, that's what he said. Polly nodded. Well, have you tried it like a lamp? Have you rubbed the bit of paper and wished for anything? <laughs> The jokey laugh at the end of the statement told Polly he was semi-serious. Polly snorted with laughter. No, I haven't. Do you think I should? I didn't even know what to wish for. Yeah, go on. Try it. Let's see if it's that. You'll feel like an idiot if you didn't try. For a start, you can wish that this traffic would clear. All right, then. Let's hope a great big genie doesn't turn up, otherwise we might crash. Not in this traffic, love. 
He nodded out at the backed-up cars littering the road. Polly held the piece of paper in her hand. Feeling ridiculous, she rubbed the writing on the paper and said out loud, I wish this traffic would clear. Both Polly and the driver looked about them, not sure what to expect. After a minute, they had accepted nothing was likely to happen, and both felt foolish. The cabbie spoke first. You know what I reckon, love? I reckon your brother's pulling your leg, and he's... Hang on. He cut his evaluation short as, mysteriously, the traffic in front started to move. Wow, would you look at that. They caught each other's eye in the mirror, both clearly excited but still in disbelief. Hey, you should wish for a billion pounds now, the cabbie said, only half joking. What if you're right about it working like a genie? Then I only get three wishes and I've just used one up clearing the traffic, said Polly, and she was only two-thirds joking. Yeah, fair point. Then I suppose you should have a proper good think about what you want then. Oh, here we are. This is the building you want. Polly could tell he was disappointed for their journey to end, as was she. I'll tell you what, love. Oh, I'm Tony, by the way. I was gonna go on me break anyway. I'll hang around here for the next half hour. You can tell me what happens when you come out, then I'll drop you back for free. That a deal? Deal. Polly beamed at him. What a nice guy, she thought. Cheers, Tony! She shouted, jumping out of the cab and turning back to give him a double thumbs up. Good luck, love. Tony waved back, turned onto a side street, parked up, and awaited her return. Accounting IT was your standard glass-fronted power office with all the soul removed. Inside, the reception boasted exposed pipes and silver air conditioning shafts that looked to Polly a bit like a Blue Peter replica of a space station gone wrong. She hoped all the pipes were massive cardboard toilet rolls wrapped in tinfoil. The man sitting behind reception looked bored and uncomfortable in his shiny, blue security uniform. Now this was happening, Polly felt nervous. In her mind, she switched to the mode that she always adopted in meetings. Just look confident and bored, she told herself. Hi there, good morning. I'm here to see Donald Pigeon. The security guard barely looked up as he passed her a clipboard with columns like a petition on it. Can you fill this in? What's your name? Do you have an appointment? He spoke in a stern voice as if he ran the place and her being there was an inconvenience to his otherwise jam-packed schedule of welcoming people to the building. Polly considered giving him a false name for a second, then thought better of it. She had trouble enough remembering her own details, let alone fictitious ones. My name is Polly Fairwald, and yes, he is expecting me for our 11 a.m. Then thought, All right, easy, James Bond. No need for additional details. Keep it simple. She glanced at the clock and was relieved to find it was 10.55 a.m. I'll call him down now. Please take a seat. The man weakly indicated behind her. Thank you, said Polly. And in her head added, And such a pleasure to meet you, too. Walking over to the so-called seating area, surrounded with chairs that any human being would find impossible to sit on without looking like a total dick, she opted for the least painful-looking one, a triangle-shaped green felt-covered boulder. Seeing the security guard put down the phone, she assumed Donald was on his way. What am I going to say to him? Or worse still, what if it isn't him at all? Polly had prepared nothing for their encounter. She got out her notepad and pen to list possible questions. 
Number one, how do you know Bert? Number two, where is Bert? Number three, what is this code? How do I work it out? Number four, are you from another planet? Number five, she left number five blank in case something else sprung to mind in the next few minutes, but couldn't think what else she needed to know. She hoped that if she could get to the bottom of the first three, then she could improvise from there. Her thoughts were interrupted by a man in a blue checked shirt and chinos standing in front of her. Polly Fairwald? he asked. Damn, this is the wrong Donald after all. Now what? Polly jumped up. My name is Gary Pootlepool. Donald works for me. He seemed very pleased with himself as he announced this. Yes, I am Polly. Nice to meet you. Offering a hand to shake. Okay, Polly thought. I'm just going to have to wing this. Yes, unfortunately, Donald has not turned up for work today. I checked his diary and I couldn't find your meeting. I'm not sure what the nature of your meeting is. Donald has neglected to leave any proper handover notes in place of his absence. Donald had not turned up for work today. That didn't sound to Polly as if Gary Pootlepool knew where Donald was. She thought on her feet and said quickly, Yes, I know, that's why I'm here. I'm a... friend of Donald's, and I've been trying to get a hold of him. We were supposed to be having dinner last night, but he didn't turn up, so I thought I'd come and check on him today. Polly smiled sweetly at him. Oh. Gary's tone quickly went from helpful to passive-aggressive. Donald missed a crucial meeting this morning. It's very unprofessional, and we're very concerned. Have you tried calling him? Do you have his number? Polly said, taking her phone out of her pocket. Desperately trying to remember how many digits a phone number was supposed to have, she read out a made-up number. Gary Pootlepool, not to appear rude, took out his phone and read out the number he had stored for Donald. Polly typed it into her phone. If you happen to reach him, can you tell him to contact me immediately? Gary grunted, reminding Polly of her boss. She was, however, grateful for his lack of concern. Someone more compassionate might have tried to contact the police to report a missing person. That would have led to all sorts of difficult questions. Thank you for your help, Gary. I will let him know as soon as I've got a hold of him, she said, trying to sound like a worried friend. Gary Pootlepool, pleased she wasn't going to hang around bothering him any longer, graciously added as an afterthought, You should try his house. Good idea. Thank you. I will, said Polly, shaking his hand and backing out of the building. She turned and walked quickly toward the door, grateful to get out of this miserable hellhole. Madam, excuse me! The security guard shouted at her from behind the desk, making everyone turn to look at Polly, the culprit. Oh, crap, thought Polly. What now? Can you sign out? He said, as if she'd just broken the law. Relieved, Polly dashed back and scribbled in the last column of the clipboard, turned, and marched out into the fresh air and busy mid-morning London street. Polly spotted Tony's cab just off to the side of the building. Unfortunately, it was empty. Polly walked over anyway and saw Tony coming out of the coffee shop across the road. He looked up and, seeing Polly, waved. Polly waved back. Well, that was quick, he said. If only I had time to pick up a tea in the paper. What happened? 
She took the tea he handed her so he could climb back into the driver's seat, then handed it back. He didn't turn up for work today, explained Polly, wondering if she should get back in the cab and if the update warranted the previously promised free ride. Oh, damn, said Tony, with genuine understanding of how annoying this development was. Jump in, I can drop you back. We'll have a think together. Brilliant, thank you. Again, this is so kind of you. She was pleased that he'd said, we. She felt this needed double brain power. Not at all, love. I can't keep calling you love all day. What's your name? It's Polly. As in, put the kettle on? Polly laughed at this. Tony was not the first to point this out, and by no means would be the last, but she genuinely didn't mind at all. It felt comfortable, and used to be a fun family joke, stretching the meaning of the word fun, as all families did. So, where now then, Aladdin? Tony asked, reminding her of their earlier conversation. I suppose back to work, said Polly. Really? Seems like a waste of the day. I bet Aladdin didn't have to go back to work, Tony joked with her. Could I wish I didn't have to go back to work? said Polly, seriously considering it. No need a waste to wish for that, love. That's within your power. Let me tell you something. Twenty years ago, I had a job in the city. A lot of money it was, even back then. One day, I get this big promotion for selling a load of shares in oil or something. I can't remember anyway. So, I get this big pay rise and promotion, and I know I'm supposed to be happy and think about all that money, but inside, I don't feel anything but cold. Back then, June and I had only just married. We'd never had a lot of money, see? I thought, now we're loaded, everything would be easy, and I'd be happy. When I get home that night, I tell her. She looks me straight in the eye and says, Tell me you're happy. I said, I'm happy. She said, You're a bad liar, Tony. That was it. I went back in the next day and handed in my notice. I felt like I'd won the lottery. He leaned back in his seat. Wow, I bet that was amazing. Did you have to get another job quickly? What about your house? Polly asked. Well, here's a funny thing. A mate of mine from school was a cabbie and he asked if I could cover for him for a few days. I had nothing better to do, so I said, sure. And that was it. I never looked back. Many people choose being in the city for the status and the money. But to real people, none of that matters. He chuckled to himself. Do you think life would be different if you'd stayed and made a load of money in the city? Polly searched his big, soft, grey-brown eyes for any sniff of fibs. Who says I haven't? He chipped in with a wink. I've been the boss for twenty years. I pick up all the best information in here and I can work and think on other things. No one pays you any attention when you're the driver. But even if I hadn't done well financially... A touch of purple touched his bristly cheeks. It wouldn't make much of a difference. We don't need much to live a good life. Love, food, warmth, good bed, and good company. The rest of it, that's made up to make us buy more things. He went on stroking his chin as if he was on a shaving advert. I guess I was lucky to have June. I'll feel sorry for those wealthy ones. You have to wonder what they're up against in here. He tapped the side of his head. Something terrible has happened to him, I reckon. To keep needing that much. Polly thought he might cry, 
so hastily looked away. She rarely wondered what she'd missed out on by not having her parents around, but for a moment she was painfully reminded. Somehow she'd forgotten what it was like to breathe. She'd forgotten that she was free, that no one was making her go to work. Good point, said Polly out loud. Before thinking about it too much, she whipped her phone out of her pocket and sent a text to her boss, feigning a family emergency, which was sort of half right. Done! she exclaimed. Call blimey, Polly, me and my mouth. Right, so where now? Don't worry about how far it is. I'm taking an early lunch, too. You've inspired me. Tony looked at her with a hint of pride. I haven't a clue. Perhaps it's a good idea if I head home. Is it too early to want to go to the pub? Polly wondered out loud. I'll tell you what. You tell me where home is and we'll head back. I'll drop you at your local pub and you can get me a drink as payment. Tony took a small rag out of his pocket and polished the rearview mirror. An excellent plan. It's Putney, so you might regret that, she said, giving him the chance to back out. Used to live round there myself. To Putney. Now, what happened in there? How did you find out he hadn't turned up? Tony asked as he threw them out into the manic London traffic. The journey was a lot quicker than Polly imagined it would be to get out west. She was half expecting to spend the next week stuck in the back of the cab, but what felt like a few minutes later, they found themselves in the Worm and Duck public house with their drinks in hand. The barman gave her a look that said, what are you doing here this early? But then quickly lost interest and got back to his crossword, leaving them both in peace in the empty pub. So, began Tony, supping at his half-pint of real ale, amusingly named Badger's Arse. He's still not answering then? He asked as Polly put her phone down on the table. It's not ringing anymore. It's just a dead tone. That's odd, isn't it, that it's now dead? Going to answer phone I could understand, but the dead tone suggests it's been cut off. I don't know about these things, love, said Tony thoughtfully. Polly took a long glug of her cider and rubbed her head, as if trying to warm up her brain and stimulate it into action. I've been thinking about what you said earlier about what it is I want. And I've been thinking about the quote, the Charles S. Pierce one. There's something in that. Polly scrunched up her face, almost as if she could push her brain to pop out the answer. Tony let her think on some more. Before yesterday, I hadn't ever thought about what I wanted. I was just doing the things in front of me. Then I get given this code, and now I'm here even though I had nothing to go on. Polly felt a bubble of excitement, like she'd stepped out into a wide-open space. Tony laughed. What is it? she asked. Well, that's it, isn't it? He nodded at the piece of paper with www.nothing.com inscribed. You literally had nothing to go on. But from that nothing, now you're here and you've met me less than 24 hours later. Well, I haven't gotten very far, have I? said Polly, dismayed. Haven't you? continued Tony. Seems to me that yesterday you had nothing, and today you have a mission. You need to find your brother, you need to find Donald, and you need to know what you want more than anything. Plus, you've made friends with a top bloke called Tony. He winked at her during this last bit. You're right. I hadn't thought about it, but yes, things have changed already. Polly brightened. I think your brother has got something to do with this. 
I don't know how you'll find him, but you will. Might not seem as exciting if it's just your brother playing a prank. Perhaps you haven't got the code to power and whatnot, but today has been unpredictable and exciting. And that's a start. Tony put down his glass and swiped his chin on his cuff. Polly realized they'd both finished their drinks and was about to offer Tony another when he said, Right, I need to get back on the road. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Polly. If you ever need anything, here's my number. He dug a slightly dog-eared business card out of his wallet and handed it to her. Can I drop you off at your house? Thank you, Tony, and no, it's no problem. I can walk from here. I could do with the air. They got up and left the pub, shook hands, and parted company. Unpredictable and exciting, pondered Polly. Now when was the last time her life had been like that?